Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Jonah. Uh, we will start a new sermon series on the book of Jonah this morning. Glad you are here, our faithful few, this morning. We are in the middle of a perfect storm, so there are a few things that keep people away from church. One of them is rain, check. Uh, one is spring break and vacations, check. And then one is daylight savings time. And so all three of these things could not stop you from being at church this morning. So kudos to you. I am a... Uh, Still recovering. I spent the last week in Miami with a group of 30 students, and so my experience is that after you do a trip like that, there's two or three days of like fog uh, where you are still kind of waking up to the world around you. I've never been in a war, but I imagine it's similar to being in a war where you get back and you're like, I'm still alive. <laughs> this is real life, and the world has kept going the way it's been going, and so you kind of get acclimated back into the world. So forgive me if I'm not 100% this morning. I'm having a little bit of an out-of-body experience back in, in regular life. Um, but I am excited to, to walk through the book of Jonah with you. Um, we have a long tradition here at FC Cubed, going all the way back to last year, of going through a book of the Bible for the season of Lent. And so last year, during Lent, we went through Lamentations, and I enjoyed that so much. I thought we'd do another one this year. And so we're going to go through the book of Jonah. It's four chapters. We'll spend four weeks in Jonah. It'll take us right up to Easter uh, until we celebrate um, Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. So we'll be in Jonah. We'll go about a chapter a week and uh, look over the next four weeks at the book of Jonah. Um, I think we'll see that Jonah will be a perfect book for us uh, as we walk through the season of Lent, which is a time to examine our sins, to confess our disobedience, and to start to put into practice repentance, to start to um, mold our hearts to worship and follow the living Christ. So if you'll read with me Jonah chapter 1, we'll read this morning verse 1 through verse 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish to the, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 
This is the first story of a couple of stories that make up the book of Jonah, a fascinating little story that we have in our Old Testament. Um, Jonah, I believe, is the perfect example for us for this time of Lent, because in Jonah, I think we find a character that we can relate to. Now, the temptation when we read stories like Jonah's, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is that we demonize the characters that we find who have certain character flaws, and we use them as examples of what not to be. Um, So we find a character, and we see all the different flaws they have in them and in their attitude and in their actions, and we say, don't be like that, don't be like that, don't be like that. And we often miss out on the fact that we actually are already like that. And that the real force of Scripture is when we don't disassociate with these characters, but instead identify with them. Uh, I think our call when we read the book of Jonah is to see ourselves in Jonah, um, and then to let Scripture really do work inside of us and really pull us around and shift some things in our own hearts as we don't see Jonah as an example not to be followed, but as a person that we already are. Uh, Jonah is this comic figure. He is um, one of the most ridiculous excuses for a prophet that you can think of. Um, He does everything wrong in the entire story, and yet God works everything right through him at every point. Um, Jonah is a holy screw-up. He is... Not who you would think of as God's spokesperson. Again, though, he is the Lord's. The Lord never um, abandons him. The Lord never decides to not work through him. We, uh, like Jonah, um, I think have to learn to identify as these deeply flawed characters who, despite our flaws, still have an important role to play in God's economy of salvation, God's plan of salvation in the world around us. Um, I think sometimes we don't always realize or appreciate the full extent of our fallenness, even as Christians. Um, So we we come to the Lord and we start to follow Christ, um, but we still find ourselves broken, flawed, miserable people. Uh, If we were to sit down during the time of Lent and try to write out our sins, uh, I would imagine that if we did a good faith effort toward doing this, we would find that we probably could not even name all of the sins that we're involved in. Um, all of the deeply habitual and systematic um, wrong actions and attitudes that we have um, become complicit in, in our lives and in our attitudes and in our relationships. Um, If we're honest, I think like Jonah, we find ourselves as horribly flawed followers of Christ. Um, And this has a sense to paralyze us. Uh, This has an ability to paralyze us. We want to ignore this fact about us. Um, that we often disobey, we often go down the wrong path. Um, But during the season of Lent, um, what Christians try to do and try to cultivate is a spirit of confession, um, where we acknowledge our shortcomings. um, And despite those shortcomings, we come closer to the Lord and learn how to follow him more faithfully. Um, Not by ignoring them um, and not by being victorious over them in one small instance, but through the struggle and through our acknowledgement of them, um, we come to know the Lord more. Um, We have been given a mission, just like Jonah had been given a mission, um, and often we forget or disobey. Um, We look around at the world uh, around us, and and we see a a kind of holy mess Um, in our global world, even in our individual lives, both in our lives and our neighbors' lives. We see all kinds of things wrong with the world. Um, And as Jonah's people, as people who identify with Jonah, we've got to come to grips with the fact that perhaps we're responsible for some of it. Um, If you were to look at the global world and all the messes that we're in uh, as just a global community, I think the church has to be able to sit down so the entire body of Christ globally 
at some point sit down and say, some of this is our fault. We have not acted the way we were supposed to act. We have not stood in the gap for the poor and afflicted the way we are supposed to stand in the gap for the poor and the afflicted. If we look in our own lives and we see suffering and hurt, I think we've got to be able to admit that some of this is our fault. Or at least for some of this, we haven't reacted the way we're called to react. Um, We've ignored it or we've um, been compliant in it. We have um, added to it. Um, Some of this is our fault. Some of this is... Um, on us for not reacting the way we're supposed to react. So um, in this first story, this, these first 16 verses, I want us to read through, um, and we'll talk about each little section here and look at ways perhaps we can identify with the prophet Jonah uh, as we get started through this study of um, Jonah and his disobedience um, and yet God's faithfulness to him and through him, even in spite of his disobedience. So um, in the first three verses, you've got the story starting off on this fast point. Okay, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Um, he is a prophet. We know that Jonah is one of the northern prophets, so of the northern ten tribes, Israel. Uh, he succeeds the Israelite prophets of Elijah and Elisha. In Second Kings, he's mentioned right after Elisha. Um, and so he has this ministry to the northern ten tribes, and he's given this unique call to go to a foreign city, uh, to go to Nineveh, which would have instantly been recognized by the original readers here as the capital city of an empire called Assyria which was known as Israel's greatest enemy. Um, Assyria was the empire that would one day come and destroy Israel, would wipe them off the face of the earth. Um, To this day, the northern ten tribes don't exist anymore because Assyria practiced this kind of early type of total war where they would come in and destroy everyone. Um, Assyria is known historically for, again, this kind of pseudo-total war where they'd come in and try to destroy everyone, and the few who lived, they'd try to destroy them psychologically. Uh, So we have records of them coming in, and they would kill uh, men, women, and children. And then with the few survivors that were left, they would make them grind up the bones of their dead and eat them. I mean, you you broke down everybody, and then the few who were still alive, you broke them down mentally. Assyria was as far as empires go in their time, as bad as it got. As cruel as it got, as violent as it got, as great as an enemy to God's people as there had ever been. And so they have been growing and growing in the distance. Israel um, has been warned that Assyria will come and topple them if they don't get back on the right track. This is the city that Jonah is called to go and preach to. We're not told why Jonah doesn't want to preach to them. That will come in chapter 4. So the author will withhold that information for us for four chapters. Um, We're just told that Jonah does not want to. It's not hard to, to see why, right? As far as enemies go, this is your number one enemy. Um, you don't want to go there. There's no police force to protect you. I mean, it's just a dangerous trip in the first place. You probably aren't. We, we find out later Jonah's suspicious of the Lord's motives for sending him over there. Jonah has a suspicion that the Lord wants to save them and redeem them. And he's not okay with that uh, at all. And so he, he says, look, if this has any shot of helping these people out, I'm not doing it at all. I don't want to go over there at all. Um, but God gives this mission to Jonah This is not a small grudge that Jonah has. This is not a a story about being nice to people or about getting over these small little sins that we tend to hold against people. Um, I mean, if we were to take collectively our biggest religious and social political enemy, um, this would be Nineveh. Um, The one group of people in the world we're convinced are in the wrong and are, are deserving of God's judgment. This would be Nineveh. And the Lord says, you go to Nineveh. And Jonah, as a good prophet, says, no, no way. 
he, he disobeys. He goes the exact opposite direction, actually. So um, Tarshish is the, the opposite direction of Nineveh, um, and he is going, we're told, to flee from the presence of the Lord. He wants to get away from God. He wants to get away from this vision and from this mission he's received. And so Jonah heads off in the other direction. Again, this is a unique story that we have. Um, lots of prophets get the word of the Lord. Um, a couple of them argue with God a little bit and wrestle with the mission. Few of them actually just get up and turn the other way. Jonah says, I don't want to be a part of this. Uh, and so he heads out. Now, like Jonah, you and I, as God's people, as Christ's followers, we are God's chosen people. Jonah, like Israel, had been chosen by God to be a blessing to all the nations. Whether she liked it or not, whether she understood it at all times or not, she had been chosen, we're told in Genesis 12, God was going to bless Israel so that she could be a blessing to all the nations. As a prophet, Jonah embodied that vocation. Uh, God would bless the prophets so that they could bless the people with the word of the Lord. Um, you and I have been given this very unique and specific mission from Christ. We're to go out and make disciples and to spread the good news and to baptize and to teach um, we have been blessed, we have been formed as a people, in order that we might go out and bless others, and form others as a people. Um, oftentimes, we forget the call on our lives, and we think that once we have been saved, once we have come to Christ, we are just kind of waiting out the rest of our lives, um, just kind of sitting on our hands for the rest of our time here on earth. And we forget the larger, the larger story that we're put into as Christ's people, which is that we're given a, a mission, we're given a vocation. Um, we are to go out into the world um, and bless the world and bring the good news, bring the um, comfort to those who are hurting and lost in our world. Um, like Jonah, though, however, sometimes we ignore this mission. Um, we ignore this, this vocation. So we, we see Jonah goes in the opposite direction. In verse 4, God responds. So you have round 1, verses 1 through 3. God gives Jonah this word. He goes the other direction. Um, in verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? What are you, what are you doing while you're sleeping? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now we'll see in the book of Jonah, there are a lot of comparisons and echoes of other biblical stories. Um, here you have two echoes of other biblical stories. One here is the flood story. If you remember the flood story with Noah, God decides to kill all of creation except for one family, one ship, and Noah and his family on the ark. Here you have kind of the reverse of the flood story. Uh, so instead of killing everybody except for this one ship, everyone is safe except for this one ship. You have the storm, the sea coming over this one ship. And in the flood story, whereas everyone got to be killed, here everyone will get to live. It's kind of the flood story in reverse here, as God's working out his purpose with uh, Jonah. You also see an interesting parallel here with Jonah sleeping during the storm. So the storm comes over Jonah and the people he's sailing with, um, and Jonah is asleep at the bottom of the boat. He's trying to go as far away from God's activities as possible. He is sleeping through the storm. Um, this should remind you, because we're going through the book of Mark right now at the church, taking a break to go through Jonah, of another story in the Gospels, where another prophet is asleep with some passengers in a boat, and they encounter a storm, and they get very afraid for their lives, and they wake up the prophet, and the prophet ends up saving them from the storm. If you have your scriptures, keep a finger here, but flip with me to Matthew chapter 8. We'll come back to Jonah in a minute, but Matthew chapter 8, we'll pick it up in verse 23. 
We find a story in the Gospels recording Jesus' ministry. Matthew 8, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Now there's a lot of similarities between Jonah's story and Jesus' story here in the Gospels. Um, Both men are prophets. Both are able to sleep through the storm somehow. Um, Both are able to save their uh, fellow travelers from the storm to come. The biggest difference is that Jonah is the disobedient one, whereas Jesus is the obedient prophet. Um, Jonah calls on the Lord um, to end up saving these sailors. He's reliant on God's power. Jesus kind of taps into this power himself. Jesus seems to represent the Lord himself in this story as he acts on the part of those um, sleeping through the storm. So Jonah, as he runs from his mission, finds that it costs both him and his fellow travelers a great deal. Um, God interrupts his plans um, with a storm. God interrupts his plans with some problems and some tribulations. Uh, I think that you and I should expect God to disobey us when we disobey him. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you are trying to run away from God. You are going down a path you know you're not supposed to go through or go to, and all of a sudden the Lord kind of interrupts your plans. Um, All of a sudden the Lord kind of trips you up a little bit, kind of redirects you. Uh, I think this is a pattern of how God works in the lives of his children. Even when we're running from him, um, God seems to show up and get in our way. Our rebellion never quite goes according to plan. Uh, We plan to head to the opposite of Nineveh, but even on our way there, we meet the Lord in unexpected, sometimes difficult circumstances. The the disobedience of Jonah cost him. Uh, It cost him this experience. We'll see some more experiences that happen to him. It even cost the people around him. The sailors get put into harm's way because of Jonah's disobedience. And I wonder how much of our own disobedience as Christians um, brings unnecessary trouble on ourselves or on the people around us. Uh, we often have a very hyper-individualistic view of sin. Uh, and so sin is purely between us and God, and we miss out on the ramifications that sin has for our community, um, for the people in relationship to us, for our church family, for even the world at large. Uh, if we truly understood the cost that sin has, that disobeying the Lord has, then we might perhaps be a little more hesitant um, to, to dive into it in the ways that we sometimes do. Um, as Christians, though, we should expect God to disobey us when we disobey him. Things are not probably going to go according to our plans when we go off of God's plan. He often interrupts and um, meets us in unexpected, sometimes very difficult situations in order to redirect us and get us back on the path. Um, you might want to ask Jonah here. It would be interesting to interview him and ask him, particularly after some more things happen to him, So Jonah is trying to get away from the call to Nineveh. Already you can probably expect that eventually he'll end up in Nineveh. Eventually God's purposes will work through him. And you might ask Jonah, was it worth it all, right? I mean, if you knew God was going from A to B with you, and after you went this long side direction with all these hiccups and all these adventures, if you knew that you were going to eventually get to B anyways, would you go back and just do it originally? And would you go back and just be obedient? Would you, would you not delay your obedience? Would you not hesitate in your obedience? 
Um, I think the same question can be asked of us oftentimes. Uh, if we knew the cost of our disobedience, if we knew that even despite our disobedience, we're going to end up on the same path and we're going to end up um, accomplishing what the Lord has for us to accomplish, um, would we still delay the way that we delay? Would we still um, wander down the path that we wander down? And then would we um, wake up? I think there's this call to be awake here in, in this part of the story. Um, Jonah needs to wake up to the storm that he's caused on these people. He's sleeping through it. Um, again, I think as Christians, perhaps there are things that we need to wake up to in the world around us. There are storms that are going on which we are comfortable sleeping through and comfortable gliding through and not recognizing that this is going on and recognizing that maybe, again, part of it is our fault or part of it is our fault for not responding in ways appropriate for us to respond. I often wonder what will be... I think this is the big temptation, the, the scary thing for me about being an American Christian is we are in a place of comfort and privilege as Christians and it's easy for us to be so comfortable that we ignore the plight of the world around us and in 250 to 500 years we go down on the wrong side of history as people who coasted through life while there were all these storms around us. But we were comfortable sleeping at the bottom of the ship. Um, we were not aware of our duty to stand uh, and to go on mission for Christ. Um, I think you can say this to the church a couple hundred years ago in regards to slavery. They coasted through the storm. Um, a lot of them were on the wrong side of the storm. What will be our situation? I mean, what's going to be our kind of global embarrassment in 200, 400, 500 years? Um, what things around us in the globe, what things even in our own lives as individuals do we need to wake up to? There might be sins in our individual life that we're not aware of or that we're not um, remorseful for, that we're not truly repentant of. And, and perhaps the season of Lent, God wants to work to reveal those things to us, uh, wants to bring up those the sins in our lives that we might repent and uh, follow him in obedience. Perhaps there are um, larger issues of our community that God wants to sensitize our hearts to our larger issues of our, our global community. Um, sometimes we resemble the disobedient Jonah without even realizing it because we're asleep uh, while the storm is going on, while we are oblivious to our purpose in life and to the path that we have been called to walk on. Um, but again, we should, like Jonah, expect God to disobey us when we disobey him. Um, we should ask whether our delayed obedience is really worth the cost um, for ourselves and for others, um, and we should uh, attempt to wake up to the storms in our lives um, and in the lives of the people around us. And, and so they finally wake Jonah up in verse 7, and they have this dialogue with him. Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. This would be like flipping heads and tails um, to see who is responsible. The lots fall on Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your job? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? He answers these questions with a very terse reply. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men are exceedingly afraid of Jonah. They recognize that he's a prophet, and they say, why have you done this to us? Jonah's told them he's fleeing the Lord, and they recognize this as a punishment for Jonah's fleeing of the Lord. It's interesting here, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that Jonah's guilt is what convinces them of his God. Uh, it's Jonah's guilt in saying that I'm actually fleeing from the Lord. That's why these things are happening. The sailors are convinced that your God is the one responsible for this. Um, he is the God who we need to turn to. It's not in Jonah's ignoring his disobedience that his witness is amplified. It's actually in his confession. It's in the fact that he is this holy screw-up. 
um, that the, these Gentiles come to know who the true God is and, and know who is who's in charge of these circumstances. Um, so they say to him, what are we going to do with you so that the sea will quiet down for us? There's this raging storm going on. It's going more and more tempestuous. And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and you'll be fine. Um, Jonah says, you know, just kill me. Throw me overboard. Um, pick me up. He has a suicidal plan. Notice here the guards aren't willing to go through with this plan. Um, here's your first kind of ironic tension in the book of Jonah. The Gentiles, who Jonah seems to hate so much and want so badly to not understand and know the will of the Lord, seem to be better people than he is. Seem to be more receptive to God's will than he is. Seem to be more receptive to God's um, revelation than he is. They're praying. Jonah's not praying. They are trying to receive um, God's revelation. Jonah is fleeing God's revelation. Um, Jonah says, throw me into the sea and kill me. They say, We'd rather not. They, they do everything they can to try to not have to kill Jonah. They seem to be better men um, without God than Jonah is with God. Um, Jonah is this ridiculous excuse for a prophet. Um, this captain is by far a better man than Jonah is. Um, but they're not able to. They're not able to reverse the storm. And so eventually they say, I guess we've got to do this. They kind of ask for forgiveness as they're doing this. So I'm sorry, we just don't see another option. And they throw Jonah into the sea. And then we're told they feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to him and they made vows to him. If you'll notice, there's a change in the word used for God here. So um, Jonah picks up the story by talking about the Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D. And when you see that in your Old Testament, this is standing in place for the personal uh, name of God, Yahweh, I am who I am. Um, The word God in undercase, G-O-D, or in plural, gods or the God, is the generic word for God. Um, so there were lots of gods in the ancient Eastern world. These sailors probably worshipped a, a variety of different gods. But through Jonah and through his disobedience and through this, this uh, encounter on the ship, the sailors go from worshipping gods to worshipping the Lord. They now recognize who the true God is. They are now, in a sense, converted to worshipping and fearing Yahweh and offering sacrifices to him and making vows to him. The Lord is, throughout the story, setting up Jonah as a scapegoat. Remember, the scapegoat is the goat on the Day of Atonement that all the sins get put on. He's the fall guy. He's the the guilt. Um, And then he is not killed, but he's thrown away. He's taken away. And in so doing, he saves the rest of the people. Um, Jonah here functions as that scapegoat. He is taken away so that the storm might pass over this group of people, these sailors, um, on the ship. And we have here um, Gentile converts. Despite himself, Jonah, who... His sole purpose in fleeing the word of the Lord was so that Gentiles would not be saved, ends up accidentally saving some Gentiles on this boat. Um, Despite his best efforts, the Lord is working through him in in miraculous and marvelous ways. um, These Gentiles um, are converted and fear and believe and confess and make vows. We notice again, the only reason Jonah is successful here is because of his guilt. I think there's something to... Um, this truth as you and I seek to be witnesses for Christ, that it's not in our ignorance of our sins that we convince others of how great Christ is. It's in our confession of our sins. Um, When we are able to stand before God and before others and say, we're not perfect. In fact, sometimes we're deeply, horribly flawed people who consistently rebel against God, who consistently go the other way. Um, It's in that confession that Christ's grace is shown more fully. It's in that confession which others might be able to embrace and receive God's love for them through Christ. There's this this deep truth here in Jonah in the first chapter, um, which shows us that um, no matter what happens, despite our disobedience, even when we disobey God, 
God is working in all situations to work in us and work through us. Um, again, as Christians, I think if we're honest with ourselves and with others, we're often these very deeply flawed individuals. Um, we're often much more sinful than we realize and or are willing to acknowledge to others. We often know the way we should go, know the things we should do, and go the exact opposite way. And even yet, in that disobedience, in that rebellion, I think we find that God works in us. That even off the path we're supposed to be on, God has a plan for us and is working out things in our hearts. And even off the plan we're supposed to go, God works through us. Mm -hmm. God works through us to other people um, so that there's nowhere we can go, nothing we can do to escape God's plan for our lives, which can be incredibly frustrating when you're Jonah and you're trying to run away. Um, I mean, it's so incredibly frustrating, but also incredibly comforting that you will not be able to outrun God's grace for your life or for somebody else's life. You, in fact, are not strong enough to ruin God's plans for mm -hmm. creation. If you spent the rest of your life trying to confuse God and, 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 and destroy his plans for creations, you would not get close to it. Um, God will work out all things to his pleasure for his plan, for his glory, including your disobedience, including your rebellion. Um, he'll work it for your own good, and he'll work it for others um, in ways that we can't see or acknowledge or predict, in ways that we perhaps will never know. Even our disobedience um, results in God's glory being spread out and, and going farther. Um, every, every step that we take is incorporated into his plan for all of creation. In every situation that we encounter, including some of the storms that we cause, um, again, like Jonah, some of the storms that we might go through in life are self-inflicted. Um, they were not part of the original plan, right? But we went off the plan, and so we found a storm on the, the path leading away from the Lord's plan for our life. Um, but even those storms, every, every interruption in our life, every struggle we have in our life, uh, is being used by God, has been filtered through his hand so that we might come back to him so that we might be um, more faithful and more obedient and more um, faithful witnesses to him. There's this, this beautiful truth, I think, where Christians can have peace about circumstances that surpasses understanding when they realize that everything in our lives, both good and bad, um, easy and difficult, um, predictable and unforeseen, everything that comes into our life um, has the effect, because of God's power and wisdom, of shaping Christ-likeness in us. Um, everything, every situation, every difficult relationship, every sickness, every hard circumstance um, has the ultimate eternal effect of bringing us closer into conformity with Christ's character. There's God's will for our lives, we're told in 1 Thessalonians. And as close as we get to Christ's character, the closer we get to um, showing and spreading and, and displaying Jesus for the world around us. People see him more fully. People come to him more fully. No matter how off the path we go, um, even in direct disobedience to the Lord, uh, we find that his purposes work in and through us. Um, a frustrating truth and a, a very, very comforting truth. Um, we are Jonah. We are these disobedient prophets. We have been given a plethora of gifts in Christ. We've been given more than we can comprehend or understand with salvation and forgiveness and the mission that we have been sent on. And we repeatedly screw it up I mean, over and over and over and over and over again. And through the book of Jonah, we, 
we can learn a few things. One, we can learn that um, God doesn't give up on us when we disobey. Um, part of the beauty of God's forgiveness for our sins is that it continues on throughout our life, even as we follow Christ. Um, his forgiveness works into the future. He died for our past sins. He died for our sins right now, present. And he died for our future sins. There's nothing you can do, nowhere you can go, where, where God will one day say, I don't forgive you for that. I don't love you anymore because of that. And it's all forgiven. It's all been paid for on the cross. We also recognize and see that even despite our disobedience, despite our confusion, despite the wrong paths we might travel down, God will always be a work in us and through us. Um, that we might come to reflect Christ's character more and more and come to um, work with God uh, to further his kingdom and to, to spread his glory on the earth um, through all the situations that we find ourselves in. And so this morning, as we begin Jonah, as we start to um, sympathize with him and start to identify with him, I ask that we come to the table and worship uh, knowing a couple of things, knowing one, that we have been chosen, that we are God's chosen people. We have been dearly loved um, and are still dearly loved despite our flaws, um, in spite of our um, confessions uh, that we bring to the table. And two, that we have um, been chosen so that we might be used. Um, whether we know it or not, whether we're obedient or disobedient, we are part of God's plan. We are being used by him. Um, and at the table, we commit to going from line A to line B. We commit to following him wherever he would lead us. Uh, we, we come and worship every week so that our hearts might be sensitized to the Spirit's leading, so that when the Lord says, go here, we don't run the other direction into a storm, but we run there in the first place. We follow him courageously, and we follow him obediently. It's at the table that we receive this, this nourishment. Uh, it's at the table that we receive uh, our directions to go out into the world and be the body of Christ to the world around us. And so this week, um, we come with confession, uh, we come with praise, uh, and we come with a commitment uh, to go out into the world and serve the purposes that God has for us, wherever he might take us in the coming week. Would you pray with us?